back to the Messy Reformation. My name is Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey, and unfortunately he's not able to be with us for this interview, but he will be back in a couple of weeks. But we started this podcast for one reason. We love the Christian Reformed Church, and we want to see Reformation happen in our denomination But we realize that any time Reformation happens, it's always messy, and things are getting messy now as well. So what we're doing is taking the opportunity to talk to pastors throughout the CRC to find out what's going on in our denomination, and to ask them what Reformation might look like. Again, I want to say thanks to all of you who are faithfully listening, and I want to say thanks to all of you who are sharing this podcast with other people. We've been growing in listenership over the last few weeks, and I want to encourage you to keep getting the word out there. We want these conversations to go throughout the CRC. So thanks for sharing it and keep up the good work. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode where we have a conversation with Michael Bentley. So, Mike, why don't you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about where you're at, uh, your family, and uh, even your church, too, where your church is at? Yeah. Um, well, we're here uh, in Maryland Heights, actually, which is a, a suburb. Uh, in St. Louis County, which is part of St. Louis, kind of a greater metro area, you know, you, you're from, you go to, uh, I was, went to seminary in Mid-America, which is in Dyer, you know, everybody just says they're from Chicago. So it's kind of the same thing yep. here from St. Louis. And um, boy, it's been here for well over 50 years now. And um, uh, I've been here for about three. And this is the first church I interned at when I was in seminary. Okay. Uh, so yeah, they remembered me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Pretty that's good. good ways. And uh, yeah, so we've been here for about three years now. Uh, very much enjoying. We're we're closer to family. We moved here from uh, uh, Christ Community on Long Island, and um, so yeah, uh, much closer to family now. And uh, and it's it's good. My my kids are. It was it was another big move, and my kids weren't happy to move, but they're happy to be back here. So. Yeah, those moves with our with our kids, that's a, that's a crazy crazy process, and yet um, once eventually they they get used to it. We were just talking about that with my kids when we moved. Um, we moved from Minnesota uh, to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so my where we lived in Minnesota, my that was the only home my kids had ever known. Right, they had lived there well yeah, my, their whole life. Uh, so we were living just outside of Pease, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Okay. My first yeah. church was Hollandale. Oh, okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, so we were there. That's I've, I've said that before my, my roots run really deep there. And, and I had, uh, the church I was at, I was a youth director there. Um, I'd been youth director there for 11 years, but had been a member of the church for 20 years. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, but anyway, so when we moved there, my, my oldest daughter had lived there, you know, for 15 years, that's all they knew. And, and they're like, I can't imagine living anywhere else. This is, it's not going to be the same and, and all of that. And, 
And now we're living here. We've been here for a little over two and a half years. Mm. And they're like, wow, it's weird to think of living anywhere else. Right. And uh, and so it's kind of a funny thing. I grew up moving a lot, actually. So I'm in my, oh, now I don't have the, but like 22nd home right now or 23rd home that I've lived in. So I grew up moving all over the place. So moving's not as um, unnatural to me, but anyways, yeah. Hauling your kids though. You said, so you brought your family from Long Island down to Missouri. So that's a pretty big change culturally and everything I bet. Right. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, I still detect a, you know, a little bit of New York in them every once in a while. Uh, It comes out, they, they picked enough of it up, but uh, yeah, they're, they really are Midwestern kids. Um, my, my wife's from the Midwest and I spent a lot of time here growing up in Northern Iowa, uh, Minneapolis. So it's, it, it's kind of, it's kind of really, really good coming back. Um, my family's in Missouri and Davenport right now. And uh, uh, yeah, my wife's family's in uh, well, just recently to California, but you know, uh, Pella and uh, Minneapolis. So okay Uh, yeah we're 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 fairly rooted yeah awesome so how old are your kids uh 21 down to 10 um okay yeah adam's 21 and uh and then katie and anna and samuel or yeah samuel and then caleb's down uh down there at 10 bringing up the rear and uh we got two of them graduated high school uh anna's still uh anna's still a sophomore and uh she turned 16 soon and and uh Samuel's 12. They call him the professor. Um, he's yeah, smarter than me in so many ways. And, uh, Caleb is, you know, bringing up the artistic, uh, back end there just in his own world. So it's, that's awesome. it's really fun watching them grow up. It is. It's fun watching your kids grow up. And it's also fun watching how God gives each one their different personality. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, each one of my four, I've got four girls, and they're all unique in their own way. And each one <laughs> needs to be parented in their own unique way. Oh, yeah. Or, or uh, it took me a while to learn that. I made a mess out of things for a while. But it's a big club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you, uh, so if you grew up in Midwest, kind of Northern Iowa, did you grow up in the Christian Reformed Church then? Oh, no, no, not not even Christian. Um, I, I was born in California. Um, we moved all over the place. Um, yeah, I, I, I can probably rival you with my, yeah, 22nd home. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm awesome. Close. Um, yeah, we were in California, North Carolina, Iowa, several different places, you know, just everywhere. And, uh, I was raised, I was raised a very skeptical atheist. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was, that was kind of where I was at, um, until, you know, 15. Okay. And, uh, I'm, I am, I am the product of evangelism. So, you know, high schoolers, uh, parents of high schoolers listening to this, uh, you know, keep on your kids sharing your faith with, with their friends because I, I am the product of it. Yeah. That's awesome. So where did you first hear the gospel then and believe, tell us the story. Oh my goodness. Um, it's crazy. Um, uh, Alden Kuyper, uh, when he was, uh, he, he was my pastor in Des Moines and he was actually, he's from Rock Valley and, uh, he was, uh, actually leading the, uh, you know, the charge of the candidates, you know, when I was a candidate up there, he actually started using some of my story for the, for the mic. <laughs> I was thinking, oh my goodness, no, don't do this. Um, 
Yeah, I was I was just absolutely raised to think that church people are are, are out to take you. They're out to take your money. They're totally horrible. Um, you know, that was that was my mom's experience growing up from mm-hmm. her view. So, you know, yeah, my first experience with the Bible was was that Ezekiel was all about aliens. And then I was given, you know, Eric Von Daniken, Chariots of the Gods, you know, real hmm. in search of, you know, Leonard Nimoy type stuff. Yeah. And, wow. uh, yeah, it's really, uh, that, that's kind of where I was at. So, um, and then I had friends who were just, you know, diehard, um, morning and evening, every Sunday, including Super Bowl Sunday Baptist, you know, we're going, yep. we're there, we're diehard, we're doing Sunday school, we're doing the youth group, we're doing everything. And, um, and I, I, I decided it got to be about the point, you know, they, they just kept hounding me, hounding me about going. And I realized I really just didn't know anything about mm-hmm. what they were into. And I felt bad about that because, you know, education was always, you know, kind of big where we were at. My, my parents were always like, you know, find the truth, find out, find out. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, I just got to admit I'm stupid here. I'll, I'll go, you know, investigate from the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did all the concerts. We did, you know, uh, Sunshine in the Dome was one of my first uh, Christian uh, youth concert things uh, yep. up in Minneapolis. And, yep. and, uh, and, you know, people singing about Jesus coming back and the world ending. And I thought, you people are nuts. Just looking around thinking you people are absolutely crazy. I could not believe I was with this group of absolute fanatics. And, um, you know, I was, I was there to get girls phone numbers. That's, that's all I was there for. And, uh, but a year, year and a half of this, you know, even pastors trying to say, Hey, you know, you're ready to make that decision for Christ. And I'm like, no, no way. (laughs) Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. Um, but after a while it was, it was like that, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I do fit in. And I remember sitting, you know, youth row up front one Sunday and, um, comes time for communion and they just, you know, passing it down. And I figure, well, I've been here long enough. I'll take it. So I, you know, picked up the bread and, and, uh, my passing it on down and another guy down at the end, you know, he's looking at me going, you know, cause he knows my story and, and yeah. he's seeing me take this stuff, you know, and I'm eating the bread and I'm taking the juice, you know, and he looks at me like, oh, man, you know, I can see it in his eyes. He's like, you believe. And I just kind of held my little, cup of juice up back at him and said like you know look i am whatever you know <laughs> i i am so completely oblivious and he's thinking this is a major transformation to me yeah. but i'm going whatever and i take and i'm already thinking you know this is just weird and i take the cup and and as i'm just kicking that back it it's like i swear it was it was a transcendent moment I mean, and it wasn't like heaven opened and angels were singing. It was the wrath of God, like mm. literally coming down in as gent, you know, because I didn't burn up, so it was as gentle yeah. as possible, right? But it was very much the anger of God. And mm. all of this taking place in the time of drinking and setting down a cup in the nice little hole they provide for you in the pew there. It was total fear. Something outside of me was actually. I mean, communicating in my soul. And the best way I could explain it was just, I'm here, you're pretending, and now you're going to have to deal with me. Mm. 
And I was scared to everybody else just putting little cups back and going up. Now we're going to open our hymnal. And I'm like, there's nobody else getting this. Hmm. And it really was that meeting God in that kind of a, what are you messaging? I was messaging that I believed in the death of the son that I didn't even believe in. And apparently God takes that seriously. Wow. Yeah. So I was scared for like a week and um, just, you know, going to youth group and that next Sunday and just thinking, what am I doing and coming home and, and finally coming face to face with the Holy spirit and saying, Jesus actually is everything the word is telling me. You know, because I've been yeah. reading the Bible off and on for a year, trying to figure out where these crazy people are landing. And yeah, uh, yeah half fascinated, half repulsed with it. And it was just that, you know, the Holy Spirit just bringing me closer and closer to Jesus and realizing you've been reading about him, that this is straight up truth. This is who he is. Now, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. And I, I had to, you know, I had to ask him to forgive me and, and step off the cliff. I didn't know where it was going to go from there, but. I had to go because it was mm-hmm. absolutely true. I mean, there was Jesus and yeah. okay. So I'm in. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I, as I was listening to that, um, I resonated with my own story to some degree. I mean, it didn't happen while taking communion, but, but my conversion, I didn't grow up in a Christian home either. I didn't have, my parents were like nominally Christian. They kind of grew up in the faith, but then just fell away and didn't really practice it. Mm-hmm. And so um, they weren't antagonistic towards Christianity, but just kind of apathetic until mm. I was about nine or 10. But then I um, came to a church service. My dad became a believer. My mom became a believer. My brother became a believer. And then I wow. was the last one. Um, but I became a believer at a church service where our pastor was preaching hellfire and brimstone. I mean, about sin. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember going home that night, laying in my bed and just weeping because I was convicted of my sin and uh, knowing that I needed a savior. And, uh, and that resonates with me because when you read, I'm a big history guy. And so I like reading biographies and reading about the the great awakening. And Mm -hmm. you read some of the stories of um, if you've ever read David Brainerd's journals Mm. about him preaching to the native American tribes and, and he would preach this heavy, sin and wrath right and these people would be just brought to their knees and weeping and then he would leave they would leave and they'd be like weeping and wailing for like two or three days just in this pit but then they would eventually come to this realization that they needed christ yeah and i think man we get really uncomfortable when somebody comes to that point anymore like we want to ease it like well just don't don't feel that it's okay it's okay feel better and there's something to just allowing someone to just sit and and realize that the wrath of God is actually on them for their sin. And, the, yeah. and what that does is, I think, I know, when we really truly understand the wrath of God, then our salvation from that wrath is so much more powerful. I think you're right. I think you're right. And, you know, I know, I know we're going to get into all sorts of questions and things, but I think that, you know, especially being kind of on the outskirts, I'm on the, I'm on the non-Dutch outskirts, you know, the CRC, which is, I mean, it's still pretty much Grand Rapids, Toronto centered. I mean, it just is. Yep. And, and that's, you know, that's cool. That's what it is. I realize I'm an import. Um, but 
you know, I, I see that. I see that in the church I'm in now. I see that in church I've been, churches I've been in. Um, there's, there's really, there's such a heavy emphasis that, you know, the love and compassion of Christ, the love and compassion of Christ. I'm like, I get that, but without the justice of realizing, you know, being a complete criminal in the kingdom of God, it actually rallying against the kingdom of God that I did for so many years. Um, and, and what that looks like in the face of Christ. I mean, um, without that, you know, the, the love and compassion of Jesus just alone in that message is really becomes to take it or leave it kind of a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And, yeah. If you're basically a good person, then your salvation is like, meh, kind of, yeah. kind of nice, but not necessary. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, that's been a, that's been a real bedrock of mine is, is the whole experience there, but you know, how it, how it really does line up with scripture. I, I've had to go back and say, what was God doing? Oh, this is what God was doing, bringing me to this point. You know, mm-hmm. you can get all, you know, uh, Burkhoff's, uh, you know, Ordo Salutis and everything, but you know, it was all in there, but mm-hmm. the points that are in there really, I mean, the calling meant being called to recognize the depth of my sin. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a rough, rough awakening. Yeah. And that doesn't produce a message that I think most people, even most Christians are comfortable with today. Yeah. Yeah. People start getting uncomfortable. I notice that when I start preaching <laughs> a little more wrathful, talking about the wages of sin is death. And I could see yeah. people get quiet, start squirming in their seat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty is I, I feel very comfortable. Well, comfortable. I feel very free preach the very depth of our depravity and the depth of our sin, because I know eventually I'm going to preach the gospel that Christ frees us from that. And, uh, and so um, I was just listening to an author uh, talk about stories and talking about, you know, every good story doesn't have a weenie villain. They don't have a weak, you know, the best stories have a villain you know, that's really big and, and nobody thinks they're going to overcome it. And there's a point where it seems like everything is just done and over with. And then, then the savior comes in. Right. And that's what makes the salvation that much bigger. Right. And it's the same with, mm-hmm. um, with scripture. It's been on my brain. I'm preaching through the book of revelation right now. And I just uh, preached on revelation 12, right. The, the woman and the dragon and the dragons devout seeking to yeah. devour the child. And I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a very, picturesque story of the bible and and the gospel but the dragon's not a weenie right the dragon's a big scary um you know foe villain in the story Mm -hmm. and 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 the chapter lays it out too that you're either you're either part of the woman or you're part of the the dragon like there's no middle ground in that you're you're either you know part of the kingdom of god or part of the kingdom of satan which which one are you and uh and for God to deliver you from the kingdom of Satan and bring you into the kingdom of God is a, is a big deal. It's so amazing. I just, Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm trying not to preach, but I just is, I mean, this, this is the core of, of my life. I mean, everything since then has been patterned after this. And, and it's, it's, it is that exact nature of recognizing, recognizing, um, you know, your identity, 
Mm-hmm. You know, identity is big right now, right? And I, yep. I was trying to figure this out, you know, in the late 80s going, oh my goodness, you know, it's my identity. And here's Jesus saying, well, it's in me now. Um, let's, you know, take a while to figure out what that looks like. But yeah. there are there are two identities. Scripture provides two identities. Mm-hmm. Um, you're either walking or, you know, at least crawling forward in one or you're walking and crawling into the other one. And, you know, yeah. it means that that's it. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's has to be the message we, we preach. Yeah. The the villain, you know, if the villain is just a really angry version of Barney, the dinosaur, then you don't need a really good savior for that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So no, that's going on with that, but man, it's, it makes such a difference. It does. It's huge. And yeah. So what brought you into the CRC then? Did you become to faith in a CRC church or how did you find your way into the Christian Reformed Church? Um, no, um, I, I I met a really beautiful girl from Pella, Iowa. Ah. <laughs> That's kind of where that story goes. So um, babe, babe evangelism. It <laughs> was, it was in a way, but it, it, you know, it quickly became theological though. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I was totally bowled over by you know the depth of uh, Stacy's faith my wife Stacy and um just she was we we had mutual friends in uh in college uh we had a youth group uh, my youth group in North Iowa at a Baptist church actually became uh North Iowa Youth for Christ uh it started okay. with our youth group and kind of got built up from there and um you know we Go, even going out of college, you know, we had a really, really tight group of, of Christian friends who were all trying to figure out repentance and salvation together, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and so, uh, you know, going off to college and figuring out the bigger world and everything. And, uh, you know, uh, friends of mine who were getting married had this friend of theirs in the dorms. Her name was Stacy. And, and uh, I, I was one of the more louder apologists of our group. And, um, and so, you know, a friend of ours comes over to me and says, you know, she's here for the wedding, you know, get to know her, Mikey. She's really great. Uh, but, you know, she's in all this weird legalistic reform stuff and you really need to set her straight. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> that was the beginning of the end, right? Yeah. So I'm like, all right then. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on duty. And, um, you know, it was, it was kind of like, okay, that's, yeah, it's what you, what she was saying just was not familiar. And we got to know of each other. And then really, we just weren't, you know, on each other's radar too much for a couple of years. And then Mm -hmm. God does a big turnaround and, you know, completely kicks me out of art school and I, I couldn't afford it and puts me right back center with my old job, just as, you know, Stacy is transferring uh, from, you know, being a teacher's college at UNI at the University of Iowa for nursing and everything, just at the same time, it just happened to be. Huh. Uh, yeah. And so our friends maybe think that, you know, this is something. So we, uh, yeah, as we start talking and we start hanging out and we start, I'm, I'm really still interested where she's coming from. And she actually, she actually handed me, you know, a hymnal with the Heidelberg Catechism in it. When mm. She said, no, seriously, read this. What's not biblical? So go ahead. I mean, it's just like with that look, like I'll wait. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, 
I, I had to wrestle. I was, you know, more than a carpenter by Josh McDowell was the deepest theology I was given up yep. to that point. Hmm. And, um, and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, 500 year old documents going, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. God, what, what do I not know here? And it was, yeah, it was just amazing stuff. So, you know, became, uh, yeah, getting married and, and, uh, and then talking about faith and finding a place and eventually moving, you know, from a, from an e-free church to a, you know, and, and from different towns we moved to, you know, an e-free church to a reformed church and then to a, a CRC. So, okay. Awesome. So at what point in that story then did you feel a call to ministry then? I was, uh, I was at, uh, Des Moines Christian Reformed. It was uh, crossroads at that point. And, um, you know, bless his heart, you know, Anson Veenstra, um, kind of took over, okay. um, pastor there. And I was working, Stacy and I were working with the youth group and we got a chance to go to Mexico, take a group to Mexico. And I was going to be, you know, kind of the speaker for the week. And, and I was, I was really more excited about it than I thought I was, thought I should be. And, uh, and then I got totally shot down because we brought in another group and, thought maybe it'd be best to get another speaker from that wasn't attached. And I was like, logic tells me, well, this is totally best for the kids. And my heart was going, but I really wanted to do this. Yeah. And so Anson said, well, you know, we have a way to figure that out here in the CRC and, you know, get licensed to exhort and see if you get calls. And, you know, if not, then, you know, it's just a, a whim and if you do then maybe there's something to it and so i did the whole thing and got called and and okay passed my licensure and all right all right and i was doing almost regular you know every other sunday sometimes every sunday for mm. filling pulpits for nine months and you know it was the jokiness about uh you know Reverend Bentley kind of jokes kind yeah. of thing like that. But then people really started coming to me with, with theological questions. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I couldn't answer. They were really above my pay grade. And so Anson comes alongside again and says, well, you know, maybe seminary is in your future. And you keep, you know, keep walking through the doors. And, and that's what I did. And, you know, awesome. didn't fl- they didn't flunk me out. And so I'm still just trying to be obedient to whatever call there is here. That's awesome. You got to love Anson. I didn't know you knew Anson. Oh, I, I know yeah. Anson really well. Yeah. yeah Anson I, is I, awesome. Um, yeah. Family, uh, his sister and her husband um, in that Des Moines church were just so instrumental in getting us connected. And Anson Very cool. Is my third child. And, uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I was really connected with him in Classes Lake Superior. And then I yeah. moved over to classes, Wisconsin. And then a few months later, he accepted a call in Wisconsin. So he's here with me now too. So cool. I told him he just, he must've missed me that much that he had to change churches and come to Wisconsin. That's about my only chance to play Dutch bingo. So tell yeah. him I said, hi, <laughs> I, I will tell him I'll see him. I'll see him soon. So that's awesome. So as you've been in the CRC, then uh, Michael, what, what have you seen as some of the strengths of our denomination? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, the long-term, um, you know, the, the long-term understanding of theology and church history has just totally been, uh, a, a saving grace for me. Um, mm. 
you know, and, and learning more about it in seminary was awesome. But just realizing that the development of theology didn't start, you know, in 1900s in America, um, people really have been wrestling with some really deep questions for, oh, you know, a couple thousand years now yeah. in the church. <laughs> and they've mm-hmm. come up with some answers to things. Uh, some of them have panned out not so well, and some of them have stood the test of time. And we can mm-hmm. go back and read this stuff. Yeah, it's not. It, it's not like you know a new study committee is really gonna shed uh, groundbreaking light on too many more things. I mean, obviously, yeah. you you the, you're always dealing with new cultural representations and things, and that's always a challenge. But uh, just to see the the huge minds that that God has allowed to impart wisdom over the years. Uh, I've been so thankful yeah. uh, to have that now and, and a confessional kind of, um, you know, classical, synodical, denominational structure. Um, I say, you know, most of the time, it, what's, it's what will keep our pastors out of the news. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not, uh, and unfortunately you know, here in St. Louis and, and other places, you, you get that, you know, so-and-so, the sole pastor, whatever, with his son as the youth pastor, you know, just got nailed for embezzlement or something. And we've got a lot of really good, respectful levels of caring for one another mm-hmm. that should um, be insulation for those things. And uh, most of the time they are, and I, I, they just banked on a lot of church history, uh, yeah. dealing with scripture and trying to be honest with one another. So I'm just, I am so thankful for the, the tradition of rich, uh, theological history and e- ecclesiology that we have. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it is a massive strength. I, I've got a friend who, uh, didn't grow up in the CRC, grew up in kind of a more charismatic movement. And he mm-hmm. always said, one of the powerful things about the Christian Reformed Church is that they do not believe that the Holy Spirit hop skipped and jumped through history. And I thought that's right. such a good analogy that we believe that the Holy Spirit has been there guiding the church and pointing them to the truth throughout history. Yep. And, uh, and so that's why all of this history is so important that it didn't just, the Holy Spirit didn't just show up in the early 1900s at the Azusa Street Revival, right? Exactly. And the Holy Spirit's been there just slowly guiding the church, refining, pointing us back to the truth, what is what Jesus said he was going to do, right? The Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. Uh-huh. And uh, that guidance, you know, we're a little thick in the head. And so that guidance takes, you know, a few thousand years. Um, but but he's still doing it, and he has been ever since ever yeah. since Pentecost. Well, just like the you know the boneheads that he had for apostles, um, he didn't get it you know day after day after day. Yeah, and uh, I told somebody you know every, every time I read uh, "Oh, you of little faith," when he's talking to the apostles, every single I, I just read that as a face palm now. Uh, yep, <laughs> it's like you're the presence of God, and you just don't get this yet. Oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I, there's a couple of spots, right? Where I think I can't, I can't quote him exact, but there's a couple of spots. I know where Jesus looks at the disciples and he's like, how much longer do I have to be with you guys? <laughs> right. Right. And, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, I know I'm the disciples in this picture too, but there's, you know, he's just like, are you kidding me? How many times have I told you this? Why don't you understand? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so despite our best efforts to ruin the church, you know, Jesus has been very, very faithful uh, to his own work and to his own calling from the father and the power of the spirit to move us where we needed to be, um, you know, for his glory. And, and I think it's, you know, it's not year, until years later, you see stuff like that, the, yeah. the, the impact of it, but yeah, definitely. Um, Jesus is faithful. Um, just an absolute trove of riches in, in that kind of church history. So, yeah, it's amazing. And it gives us hope too, right? It gives us hope for the future oh, yeah. that, that Christ is faithful and he has promised that he will build his church. And so even though, you know, we're going to get to some of the struggles and concerns and frustrations with the denomination and, uh, and uh, well, I told you at the beginning of this interview before we recorded that I'm feeling pretty heavy today and kind of frustrated and not yeah. necessarily so hopeful. And this is a good reminder to me too, right? Um, Christ is going to build his church with or without us. And so we our calling is to be faithful, but our hope is in the fact that um, Christ is going to build his church and the Holy Spirit's still at work now. And uh, um, I, I'm, I'm reading a book right now about the church in the second century. Mm. And uh, you start reading about all of the turmoil and the chaos going on in the second century. And then I'm reminded, well, it's probably not as bad right now. <laughs> right. Maybe we'll there eventually, but, but God was faithful to his church there. His, the gospel kept going out. The, the kingdom yep. of God kept coming. And uh, 2000 years later, here we are, and it's still coming and it's still going out. And so we have, we have hope. Yeah. Yeah, no, but none of my pastors have been burned at the stake recently. So, you know, we do live in in a bit of a, a cushy timer still. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty hard to to talk about. Um, I mean, I, I know there is persecution and all of that, but you start reading history and yeah, and you think, yeah, what we're calling persecution is very different. Mm-hmm. Well, in the United States, right? Yes. What we're calling persecution in the United States is very different. Now we've got a man in our church who grew up in, in Laos mm-hmm. and uh, the persecution he, he was facing there as a Christian and his family is still facing there is very much like the persecution going on in the second century church throughout the world. They've got that, but, but in the United States, the persecution that we're facing is, is uh, minimal considering uh, what, what has happened throughout history. Yeah. We've got a good uh, large family of uh, people from Nigeria uh, who were just immensely impacted by the Christian Reformed Church uh, plants and ministry and schooling uh, in Nigeria, mm. uh, you know, through the, the 40s and the 50s, 60s and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just produced really, really smart guys who just happen to be in America right now. Um, you know, and uh, talking about, oh, yes, you know, I talked to Mr. Vermeer here and there. And, you know, it's like they're, they're more connected to the CRC than I am, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, one of our guys just got back, uh, you know, here in St. Louis, they're in our church and uh, just got back from a trip month and a half or so back to Nigeria. Because not only is he an elder in our congregation, but he's an elder, you know, back in his, okay. in, in his um, family. Uh, tribe structure back there and um uh you know just amazing work that's being done you know trying to keep things going trying to keep them you know uh with the faith and uh, he yeah, he sent me videos um just reminding me just reminding me the importance of the gospel here's what's happening in nigeria Pastor yeah. Mike. yeah i i can't i i couldn't show you the video here um yeah. 
Yeah, well, Nigeria has been really yeah. getting hammered lately. Yeah, yeah, he's he has. You talk about persecution, you know, with other first world people, and we're kind of like, yeah, isn't that? I can't believe that Amazon wouldn't carry that book. And, <laughs> you know, and Tim comes up and says, "Did you get the video I showed you? You know, please look, please look at the video. You know, and it's some guy getting his head cut off for being. A yeah, kid. I'm just like." Um, yeah, it's a good reminder. Um, you know, Satan's rage against the gospel is, um, is very real, you know, and, and don't, don't play around with it. That's this, I, I, again, told my, my congregation, you know, this Sunday, what we're doing as Christians is a matter of life and death in very real terms. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, same thing, right. I was preaching on dragon attacking exactly. the children, waging war, seeking yep. to devour the children, the woman. Yep. This is a real thing. This is the story that we're in is uh, Satan is trying to destroy the church yeah. and, uh, we can't, it's, this isn't playing games for us. This is, this is serious stuff. Nope. And I've, I've said that over the years. Um, that was my dad's, uh, what I felt my call to ministry, um, I've told that, I don't know if I've told it on the podcast before I've told it a lot of times, but nobody really expected me to be a pastor, nobody ever. And, uh, and so <laughs> when I, when I told my dad, like, Hey, I'm thinking of going into the ministry, um, like a typical Midwest farmer, he pulled me behind the barn and he said, don't you forget that Jesus said, it's better for someone to have a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea than to lead one of my children astray. And, uh, and that was his way of saying, you take this job seriously. This isn't, this isn't fun and games. This isn't messing around. This is life and death stuff. You take it seriously if you're being called into ministry. And it was a good word. Yeah. It was a good reminder. I mean, I was entering into youth ministry too, where there's this real strong temptation to make it all about Uh eating, you know, pizza and drinking Coke through a sock and all of that foolishness and forgetting that we have kids who are literally going to hell and destroying their lives and we need um they need to hear the gospel right and so it was a good word for my dad and it's hung with me for the last 20 years and it's been uh, uh a good yeah good thing that's 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 just fantastic you got taken to the woodshed you know um by a christian though that's good yeah. my my whole family like was literally like what the expletive are you thinking Mm, yeah <laughs> i got I'm the sure. non i got the non-christian <laughs> advice but yeah you know similar though i mean that that was the whole thing of, of me wanting to get involved with youth work is because i got you know i got saved I, jesus really got a hold of me as a sophomore in high school and to look around and see try trying to work out your salvation and fear and trembling in high school I mean, my goodness, it is just a war zone. Yeah. And I, I've always had a really soft spot for, you know, kids trying to figure out, you know, what, what does it, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'm just trying mm-hmm. to get by and not get beat up or, you know, trying to pass this test or wondering if somebody's, you know, going to throw away my note. Do <laughs> you go out yeah. with me? You know, kind of a thing. I mean, those are, those are my, my main concerns. And, do I deal with life and death, eternity? I mean, once you start wrestling with that, it's just the minefield gets even deeper. So, yeah, it's I, yeah. I I loved I loved youth ministry. I I told everybody I was going to stay in youth ministry till God kicked me out, and so He did. 
though yep. that's why I'm not anymore. But but there's days I miss it. I, I miss dealing with uh, working with teenagers. I I loved it, and um, they were hungry. Uh, the teenagers I dealt with, and I dealt with a lot of uh, over half of our youth group were, were non Christian kids that were coming, mm-hmm. and uh, they were hungry to hear yeah. God's word and to hear the gospel. They wanted to know. And uh, I've said that before that, that a lot of the non that the kids that you almost didn't want to show up sometimes because they just caused problems every time, right? They're locking kids in trunks and driving around and, you know, whipping donuts in the church parking lot. And the kids, like I had to suspend a couple of group, a couple of kids, like had to, like, you can't come back to youth group for a month. They're like, what? I'm like, no, you're just causing too many problems. Like get your head right. Come back. But those were the kids I asked, like, why do you keep showing? I yell at you every week. I did have to discipline you every week. Why are you coming back? And they said, because you're talking about things that nobody else is talking about. And you're answering questions that we have that nobody's answering. And I'm like, well, keep coming back. I'll keep disciplining you, but keep coming back. You know, we want you here. And that they were hungry for it. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't coming for the games. Right. Right. Um, They're coming to hear the gospel, which, uh, which changed the whole, um, the whole outlook of, of the ministry. It was a big deal. Oh, I enjoyed the, the, you know, excessive amounts of pizza and Mountain Dew, but yeah, I think that that was a really weird thing is that I, I had a couple of guys who were just absolutely, um, on fire for Christ who got the, the eternal weight of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had a couple of people who were um, doing youth group in, in our high school group, you know, coming out of drug culture in Minneapolis in the seventies and sixties and, uh, and, and stuff. And it was just, you know, they got just radically pulled out of it by Christ. So mm-hmm. they knew, they knew that, you know, everybody else can play their, their cute, um, you know, dress up on Sunday church games. These guys were in it to save yeah. people's lives out of the flames of hell. Amen. And that's evangelism and and that's what they were in it for so i was Amen. i thought wow this is this is not what i thought church was yeah so. it's awesome it's so it's so yeah. fun to be a part of it yeah it's, it's yeah. fun to be a part of uh that kind of a vision that kind of a mentality um the 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 games and everything it wears on everyone eventually if it's all about fun and games it wears on the leaders too and it does and, uh, and this and the students get Oh, the where is on the leaders because you're always trying to come up with the next big trendy thing and all of that. Yeah. But even the students begin to recognize the, I always say the fluffiness of it all. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, why are we here even? If all we're, I mean, I can go play games at the park down the road and I don't have these stupid leaders yelling at me if I do something goofy. Right. Um, they're, yeah, just kind of, they kind of fade away. Yeah, so, you got to, you got to have the substance. And, and yeah. it's almost like we're scared to give kids substance because they might not show up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the funny thing is they do that, I, that to my experience. I've talked to so many leaders. I mean, there's, you're always going to have a few kids who are like, I'm out. I don't want to deal with. This. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, for the most part, um, kids wanted the substance. I had a lot of kids who were, um, I mean, we were teaching Burkoff. Like we were literally sitting down walking through Burkoff with, with awesome. seventh grade kids. And they yeah. were, I said, kind of one of my favorite moments we had, you, you had talked earlier in the interview about Burkoff's Ordo Salutis. So I'm teaching this to our youth group and thinking, awesome. I don't know if they're going to get any of this, but I'm going to teach it. We'll see what happens. And so the next morning, so I taught that the night before the next morning, they're doing devotions. 
and their devotions were taking them through Hebrews 11 mm. and uh, on, you know, the kind of heroes of faith and everything. And I have this seventh grade girl, right? So you would think way over her head. She didn't understand the Ordo Salutis. Yeah. Um, she comes running up to me just wide eyed and excited. And she's like, Abraham was regenerated. And I said, well, why is that? Well, because it says that he, he, he didn't see the promise, but he saw the promise ahead of time. And so he, he had faith, you know, he had faith and said, so, man, he was regenerated, which means that the Holy Spirit had opened his eyes to be able to see the kingdom because he can't be reborn. And she starts putting all of these pieces together. And I'm like, okay, don't tell me that kids don't understand this stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and, and that was foundational for her. Right. And some people would say like, well, who cares? But no, that was huge because she was reading the Bible in a whole nother light and saw that, that Abraham had been born again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was now, now, now Abraham's living out the faith and walking. And uh, it was just a huge thing. And I thought, this is crazy that we're so afraid to teach these things to teenagers and they, they understand it. Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's you hit on these, on these truths, these eternal truths, and you show that the Bible, it, it cause most kids and I, I was most kids, you know, will think, okay, you church people, you like this Bible stuff and you're all about, you know, being good and doing these things. And that's great for you, but I exist in a greater reality and you guys can go lock your rooms and do whatever. And then you start really putting together, at least, you know, the, the youth guys that understand the importance of it, put these things together for kids and saying, no, these are all people just trying to, you know, live and get, through life like you guys are and sometimes like 18 years old already having a family and uh you know what is what does it all mean they were asking those things here's the times where god stepped in dramatically to build a testimony for himself of what life means that's all we have for this week stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with michael bentley But until then, don't forget that this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in and try to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.